0: Hello, friends. Welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coten, an interaction designer at EPAM Continuum. I've had a bunch of jobs over the course of my career. I got my start selling cheese in a gourmet deli, and eventually, through various twists and turns, I settled here at EPAM, doing innovation consulting and sometimes talking to all of you. There are various through lines to this work trajectory, but honestly, the one that sticks out is a persistent sense of not-quite-knowing. Not knowing as much as my more experienced colleagues. Not knowing how I'm going to solve the latest challenge or communicate some concept. Not knowing what the next day's work will bring. This feeling, which terrified 18-year-old me behind the cheese counter, has slowly, perhaps strangely, become the secret ingredient of my work experience. Something that keeps me coming back excited, curious, and a little off balance. Turns out the greatest fun of work, at least for me, isn't knowing at all. It's figuring things out. In our world on the forefront of technology development, a desire to learn and experiment and just try things until we get the hang of it is a foundational skill. Our clients' needs are evolving, our tools are changing, and formal education is barely keeping pace. So as Sandra Lachlan, EPAM's Managing Principal and Head of Client Learning and Talent Enablement, and Ellie Feldman, our CTO of Advanced Technology, discuss, work itself has to do more to nurture this creative curiosity. It's not enough to give our colleagues space to grow and to embrace not knowing. We need to provide them resources, support, and the right challenges to keep them invested. We might not know what the next workday will bring, but we know how to make sure they'll be ready to figure it out.
1: So, Ellie, thank you for joining me today to discuss the talent ecosystem. This is something that I know we talk a lot about internally at DeepM and um, is something that our, our clients have been asking about. So I appreciate the time with you to, to delve into a little bit more about what it is, you know, why it is, and, and why it's important for companies. So tech talent is a really hot topic these days. I mean, I'm sure you've read the many reports that show that capabilities that are technical and digital and data and product related are a huge issue for many organizations. My first question is really, you know, what do you think is the underlying issue? Why is this such a big deal?
2: Hi, Sandra. Um, Interesting question. I think it's very natural for organizations, especially historically, to um, deliver their capabilities from a business perspective uh, based on relatively limited set of major core platforms that support the business technology capabilities, platforms, uh, sometimes off-the-shelf products that support uh, this business capabilities uh, for for a business from a technology perspective. And the change for these capabilities was rather slow. Uh, they were uh, fulfilling the business needs for rather a long time uh, based on existing set of technical uh, components and all of that stuff. And therefore, they uh, stayed uh, in this organization it's rel- relatively static mode. And the people that were required to support uh, these systems needed to support the systems, not think about necessarily stuff that is coming up uh, in some form of uh, future, in some modern technologies that you mentioned, in ways of working uh, that you mentioned. The uh, challenge that we are seeing now is... Um, this business capabilities are evolving faster than ever, and therefore, the technology capabilities that support the business capabilities must keep up.
1: So it sounds like, I don't know, I know we hate using the word like transformation or digital, but it, it really sounds like this is what you're describing. It's the organizations needing to change you know, what they're offering, how they're offering it, um, and, and do everything more efficiently and this this creates a, a big gap am I getting that right
2: so this is actually interesting and maybe this would be a question back to you but there are two ways to approach this like like in in education right when we uh, when we learn something it might be something that is completely new when we're changing profession right when we're changing profession then pro- probably we need to go to some form of a major uh, ch- professor ch- profession change initiative, right, a degree or whatever else. But then there is also probably a setup in which we can incrementally uh, up- upgrade our skills. Well, what's your perspective on that I- in context of sort of the technology change?
1: Well, I think it's 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 differing degrees of the same issue and and I think you mentioned degrees a lot of companies historically and 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 individuals have historically just said I'm going to get a degree if I'm going to advance in my career but the fact is that those are very long long long-term commitments um, and they don't necessarily really map very well to practice like you know the traditional concept of the ivory tower, like a lot of what people get in degrees is very theoretical. So I think, you know, the issue of companies focusing on developing capabilities for their people, it it, it needs to be able to span like entire career changes, especially as automation has um, changed the roles that people have and, and whether those roles even exist. I, I think it needs to be both at the same time and, and the mechanism for doing it is, I think, largely the same.
2: It's interesting. And, and, and the challenge there is it really becomes very dependent on sort of the how legacy the skills are, right? Because... Like if, uh, let's say in the technology space, if uh, people have been focusing uh, for a very long time on some form of legacy technology that doesn't really matter what it is, but for for decades, right? Then probably their gap between what was then and what is now is so massive that uh, it would be very hard to close in some incremental fashion. But at the same time, if they are rather... Uh, rather up to date. I mean, maybe they are—they are uh, they're operating on sort of "quote unquote" open technologies, but maybe their their knowledge is dated by maybe like whatever five years, maybe seven years uh, as a stretch. Then potentially they can uh, increment it uh, rather quickly.
1: I think that's absolutely true. Um, and when I say that they're similar, I—I I, I mean the The complexity of something that's out of date for you know seven, eight years is is very different than you know there's an update that we need to kind of be ready for or a small tweak in my role. I think the the issue the, I guess the point that I was making was that there are some just generally common components to building capabilities technology, digital, data, you know product, or otherwise and and those really are kind of, it boils down to, you know, getting the right content to the right people at the right time, right way. Um, And that is something that I think most companies do relatively well. It's not, it's never perfect, but that's like the part that I think people are most advanced in. Where I see real challenges, and again, this relates to small skills or, or big capabilities, are the remaining, I don't know, ingredients, if you will, of learning, which is giving people like having them apply what they like the knowledge that they have been receiving into their job and seeing how it goes. I mean, I, I imagine you know like if I <laughs> um the experience of of hearing something and nodding along saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense." Like, "I got it, I got it." And then when you have to put it into practice, you're like boy, I I don't got it, right? Like, this is, I think, a a really critical aspect of learning that is not well done in most organizations. And beyond that, it's having someone who knows more than you do, looking at your work, giving you feedback on it, and saying, yeah, you got it. So, you know, that again like those components i think are universal it's just the grain size or the the level of complexity that needs to to be accounted for
2: there are two aspects to that right one is you mentioned that before the, the ivory tower aspect right when uh, yes there's a bunch of stuff happening in the industry in terms of technology um, it's actually evolving so fast that uh uh, it's almost, or maybe not almost, maybe just simply impossible to keep up, especially in in a broad sense uh, of the technology spectrum. Um, you can probably keep up in, in specific narrow areas, but even uh, in this, I mean, you mentioned like data cloud, like there's so much happening uh, all the time, uh, especially when you go into details on specific services and stuff like that, that cloud providers, for instance, release. I mean, they release like hundreds of them a year. How do you even keep up? Uh, do you need to keep up altogether? Uh, so uh, like in ivory tower approach, yeah. I mean, like, let's let's go learn everything that like, let's say Amazon produces in terms of services, which is, again, completely potentially not practical. Uh, but also the other side of this is uh, sort of the notion of rear view mirror when people say, okay, we're seeing that certain skills and capabilities are needed in the market. Uh, and we see it because like sort of everyone is talking about this. Uh, and therefore, we're now going to put our entire organization to learn this stuff when in reality, the world sense moved on uh moved on to other set of challenges other set of let's say architectural approaches or other set of uh, of uh, uh, approaches to uh, deal with with the data, or whatever else, or like the, the methodologies of actually doing work, like product mindset and stuff like that, and therefore, uh, like how many organizations are still going and sort of pushing like project management courses uh, with like without that mindset of like uh, we have products, we have agility, and all of that stuff in mind, and essentially just teaching uh, people content or uh, skills that are not necessarily even required anymore.
1: Yeah, I think you're hitting on what I see a lot in working with companies is this this massive disconnect between the training and like learning programs that are being offered and business strategy. And you know, this is something that I think is, is a real challenge for organizations. I'm wondering, you know, have you also seen that and what what are your thoughts on that?
2: as I mentioned, the disconnect between uh, both business strategy, meaning this is what the organization is really striving to achieve by uh, to essentially enable it to compete uh, against uh, uh, the companies that that are at the forefront uh, on one side. And then on the other side, uh, from a a skills perspective themselves, sort of having uh, that setup where uh, skills and uh, educational programs are disconnected uh, uh, from the actual need of an organization, the today's need and the tomorrow's need, not yesterday's need and not theoretical need, uh, are very sort of acute and, and very clear in, in in many cases.
1: So at EPAM, I know that we have made a lot of efforts to connect our business strategy to our, our learning infrastructure. Um, can you talk a little bit about- talk a little bit about that and and how it it looks for EPAM.
2: Yeah. So somewhat of a, uh, quote-unquote unique setup. I mean, it's not necessarily unique for EPAM. It's unique for any service organization. Our business is our skills. So therefore, uh, we do need that very clear connection between uh, the strategy, skill strategy, and capability strategy uh, to the education programs. And we need to do that, especially especially in EPAM, where we actually try to focus continually on uh, the leading, and sometimes even bleeding edge of both technology and business capabilities, uh, we need to be able to uh, very, uh, uh, very continuously keep uh, our talent up to date on all of this, uh, all of this modern stuff that we need to be dealing with uh, on a continuous basis and at scale. Uh, and uh, f- to that effect. I mean, we invest extensive amount of time on actually understanding what skills are, mapping the skills to specific roles, uh, mapping skills to specific domains. Making sure that we have attached sort of education programs to this uh, skills and skill evolutions and skill sort of roadmaps and stuff like that that need to be uh, sort of uh, that people need to go through to essentially uh, elevate their skills and keep current and being able to uh, both grow within the organization, being able to do the interesting work and uh, and stuff like that, and uh, essentially go through uh, all of the uh, processes like assessment, uh, uh, etc. in in a company to uh, Prove that they are keeping up to date on the skills that are needed, not only on the skills that they know. Do so you, you see that uh, being applied to uh, the enterprise space as well?
1: You mentioned that you know what EPAM is doing is is very particular to services organizations, and I, I mean, I would agree with you. Like, if our people are our business, then we have to stay on the bleeding edge of of knowledge in, in our space. But I would argue, and I think what's happening, you know, broadly in uh, HR and L&D um, contexts and in, in conversations and, you know, workshops and seminars around this, is that that connecting the business strategy to learning is a universal issue. And it's, and it's a universal um, need that companies have generally not done well. And, and what this means is that, you know, you talked about like all the AWS trainings or the, the Amazon cloud trainings and everyone's doing them all the time um, or the project management trainings that people are doing. The issue is that, you know, if if the business strategy is not connected to training, then what happens is off of value. So you you spend money on courses that people take that are misaligned to your strategy or you spend money on courses that they don't take and and but either way you're you're losing you're losing money so i mean i would argue that the connection of business and skills and training is important for everyone
2: this is interesting so we consider uh, like work that is done as part of centers of excellence and communities of practice and essentially all of this entities that help define what good looks like in the current skills and maps of education programs, to that uh, plus the education, obviously itself as a fundamental component of our existence in the sense of our business. Um, what's sort of in in the enterprise space? What is the right, I guess, formula of allocating time and uh, uh, dedicating sort of efforts to uh, establishing the same. Patterns at least that are applicable to the to the enterprise space.
1: Well, I mean, as you said at EPAM, I know that this happens through centers of excellence. Um, but in, in normal organizations, this really needs to be uh, kind of governance groups that are made up of several different um, divisions of an organization. You need to have obviously your tech, product, data, you know, digital people. Who are looking at the business strategy and translating that into um, appropriate skills in, in their area of expertise. Um, that's number one. Then you need an L and D organization represented to say, okay, let's curate the right training paths for people um, you know, to help them achieve these new skills or capabilities. And then you need an HR organization to help map that to the specific roles. And, you know ideally find a mechanism for ensuring that people are motivated to in fact develop those capabilities if people if companies stop at the skill mapping they're still going to have a big problem because you know motivation for employees to develop new skills especially when they're complex is a, a big hurdle that that many companies have have not kind of cracked yet they haven't figured out how to solve that problem
2: I see, and, if, and from a practical application of the skills, I mean, again, for us, relatively straightforward, right? We because we operate on, on that leading and bleeding and edge. So people learn new stuff and they have immediately pretty much opportunities to practice uh, this work. Uh, in enterprises where I see it quite a bit, and this, this becomes a mass- massive challenge these days for retaining talent is you sort of quote unquote, let people learn, uh, they absorb some cool new stuff but you don't necessarily have the opportunities for them to practice. So they start looking outside sort of to apply these new skills that they have learned. How do we sort of think about applying this uh, in the enterprise space? How do we um, uh, sort of see organizations uh, thinking through uh, applying this new skills that they acquire as an organization through individual people uh, and actually keep them engaged and keep them practicing this new stuff that is, is being learned?
1: Uh, there's a lot, actually, I think that would need to be unpacked to answer that question, but I'll try to do it succinctly. I think um, one really important uh, development that I'm seeing in the, this, this space is something called uh, Capability Academy. A capability academy is very different from how companies typically train, which, as we've been describing, is you know access to a lot of courses that are may or may not be curated for for your role. A capability academy is is different in a number of ways. Number one, um, it's clearly and demonstrably tied to the business strategy. So there's a and and as a result, there's executive sponsorship. So you know if if this is going to be if shifting from project to product, for example is mission critical for the organization, then a product management capability academy would derive from the strategy and would be sponsored and supported by executives because it's, it's viewed as critical. The other really interesting and important aspect of a capability academy, which is kind of touching on, on your point here, is that it's, very, it's it's designed around what people do every day. And so it needs to be tied to some sort of transformation roadmap for shifting, in this case, from project to product, so that people have the opportunity to immediately put into practice what they're learning, not just because it will help them learn better, which it will, but because it's going to be what drives that roadmap forward. and, And so all of these pieces together are really what is you know kind of cutting edge and, and what and what many companies are are moving toward because it works. It's just a completely different way of of thinking about training and requires uh, kind of a, a whole team effort. It can't it can't just be something that L and D focuses on. The other thing that kind of comes up as as a challenge in this space is motivation. And I kind of mentioned before that motivation is a is a big hurdle for companies. Um, the Capability Academy is really helpful from this perspective, too, because, you know, because executives are looking at this, like the, the outcomes really matter, there are outcomes that are expected from the program and are identified, you know, beforehand as, as part of the planning process. They're not just what we call in our industry, like, smile sheets or satisfaction. Did you enjoy this? Um, or MPS scores. It's really, you know, if we're shifting to to product management, are we seeing that shift happening? Um, of course, like a, a, even the world's best learning program cannot be wholly responsible for seeing that change. There are other factors that come into play, but it's it's an outcomes focus, which is um, which is very different than than how things are typically done. I know at EPAM we have thought a lot about. Um, you know, because this is our business, how we motivate people to to grow their skills. Is there anything that, that we do at EPAM that you think would be valuable to people outside of our company, like other you know, enterprises?
2: Actually, some of this, keep it practical within the context of what is the current uh, program uh, is. And uh, yeah, it needs to be something that is being, uh, that is changing, uh, meaning that if, it's, if, if the team is continues to work on, on legacy technology, yeah, probably there are opportunities to, for improvements in legacy technology, and probably even if people are focusing on mainframe or whatever else, there are opportunity to learn DevOps skills and maybe apply them even. But it's sort of remote, uh, so therefore it needs to be go sort of hand in hand with the change in the programs uh, themselves we are transitioning from uh, some form of legacy technology to a cloud let's make sure that we have the proper skill in that set probably some of the skills will have to come from sort of outside of the program uh, because i mean otherwise it will be a very lengthy and painful process uh, uh, if we just rely on people that just learned these new technologies but then how do we uh, bring the people that possess a lot of sort of business knowledge and uh, and capabilities uh, and can contribute extensively to the program uh, into the fold as well by by having them learn uh, the new technologies and apply them immediately in this transformation programs this is how it's done in in epam in sort of localized uh, way in where here's a project or program or product that is being developed for the customer. Here's new opportunities for uh, new business capabilities that are needed, and therefore new technologies that can be applied to that. And it's exactly the same uh, could be done in any program that is run in the enterprise space as well.
1: Yeah, I know we also put in place a lot of mentorship, which I think is another thing that many enterprises would benefit from. Um, But... I don't know. I Pam, I feel like we also do some things around assessment. I know that you had mentioned that earlier. Would you kind of talk a little bit about what that is, how it looks, and 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 you know how you think it helps us build those capabilities in the organization?
2: Assessments are somewhat controversial. Um uh, Because assessments very often are perceived as um, simply a bureaucratic process. Uh, However, it doesn't need to be like that. And we we have been actually focusing extensively on making sure that assessment is in reality all about uh, guiding the individual toward their next milestone in in, in their career. And uh, the other aspect, and this is part of the learning itself. So assessment programs are could be uh, a subject of, of learning on their own, like, I guess, any program out there. Uh, how do we leverage data that is coming uh, in, in real time from all of the stuff that people are doing uh, in their day-to-day in in very practical application of their skills um, in real products, uh, very practical uh, challenges that they're facing every single day in real product, how they overcome them, and... How do we factor that into uh, understanding of what is sort of the next evolution uh, for that person in terms of their skill development? Uh, This is an ongoing process. This is something that uh, could be transitioned into a true real-time feedback system where uh, we have done, for instance, uh, at some point, uh, some of the work around Grow, like a platform that essentially helps people continuously uh, map uh, their uh, skills into what is needed rather in, than in what they have today and essentially take that uh, perspective of real-time view of uh, uh, skill evolution and map uh, uh, tools, uh, whether that's courses or practices or mentorship that you you mentioned to help them bridge these gaps in rather small increments. And this is uh, also fundamentally important fundamentally important to our uh, our approach is the increments must be small because otherwise it becomes this uh, massive jump that people need to do and massive jumps require uh, intense efforts uh, and intense efforts are something that typically people don't uh, willing to dedicate time to nor do they often have time to dedicate to that and this is especially a problem in the enterprise space how do you dedicate uh, a significant amount of time that might be required to close a significant gap in in knowledge. So we like to uh, deal with this through assessments, through this incremental identification of gaps and uh, recommendations, uh, et cetera, and apply them, have people sort of go through that process, apply it uh, incrementally into their work, into their skill development, into their learning, and continuously evolve.
1: I really, you know, like this approach to assessment. And, and the other thing that that I really enjoy about how we do things at EPAM is the connection of assessment to career progression. So yes, we have growth pathways, we have formal and informal learning pro- approaches and training programs, um, but the 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 motivation to engage in in what can be you know hopefully it's incremental, but it can be sometimes big gaps when we open up new service lines. Um, is really supported by the fact that we have this assessment approach and that, you know, it's not an assessment that is, you know, based on people's feelings. Like the whole idea of the assessment process is to query whether a candidate for promotion actually has those skills that we need for the next role that have been derived from the strategy. Um, You know, Is that something that you you see as as helpful or critical to managing change and and learning within the organization?
2: Yes, it's both. uh, And uh, you said it. I mean, sometimes the changes are quite significant. Sometimes, uh, especially on uh, senior levels, when people start shifting significantly into strategy, let's say even if it's technology, but technology strategy, um, there are... uh, potentially uh, significant gaps that that need to be closed. Uh, at the same time, even the significant gaps uh, as in sort of agile fashion can be closed iteratively uh, and uh, getting feedback uh, through either mentorship or continuous assessment processes, uh, or actually uh, feedback from data models that assess the current uh, uh, work that is being done and give continuous feedback uh, to the individual on what is working and what is not working, and suggesting uh, the tools for them to uh, remediate what is not working again, courses um, uh, uh, mentors, mentors, uh, exercises, uh, articles like or whatever else there are many tools from which we can learn um, it's all uh, super important. so both the data driven approach in which we analyze. The uh, continuous improvement uh, steps that that the person is doing in learning the skill, as well as the more exercise factual, here is a task. Uh, make sure that that we we all understand how that individual can overcome that task is something that is integral to the to the overall assessment process.
1: So, Ellie, I know we can talk about this possibly all day long, but. This has been a great conversation. I, I really appreciate the time and the perspectives that you've provided. And you know I hope this is going to be uh, something really valuable for our listeners.
2: Thank you, Sandra. And This is a massive topic and we'll continue talking and working on this uh, for uh, the foreseeable future.
0: This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPEM Continuum. EPEM Continuum integrates business experience and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Sandra Lachlan and Ellie Feldman for their great conversation. Cheers to Kit Palalis, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coden, and I'm off to try some experiments.